0: So we're in a new, a new series. This is not a new series. This is a series um, called Intro, and um, we've been doing it in September. And it's really, it's a good way to, as we, st- as we turn the gears of church life again in September and we start to get going and back into routine, this is a kind of series that helps to just remind us of some of those big ideas that make us the church, but also specifically make us Redeemer here. So we've been doing that the last couple of weeks, and we've looked at story I spoke about Story is one of the, that first big idea, we all have a story, it's a unique story and it begins with God saying in Genesis one that we are good, that we're holy, that we're sacred, that we're made in his image and that our life is a long journey. As we abide in Christ, we begin to emerge through the fictions. As the fictions of our life drop off, we begin to enter into living into our true selves, our true story. the love of Jesus has freed us to become whole again. Story, last week Ryan talked about the second big idea, presence, presence as we've been speaking about already that God is not apart from his creation but he's present in and through everything if we have the eyes to see and that our role is not to live separately um, from God but to actually show up and actually to see the glory and the presence of God in everything including the birthing of lambs and everything else. In the ordinary, beautiful, everyday life, there's a God waiting for us to be encountered. And not only that, he spoke about how that we, the church, the people of God, are to be God's presence in the world as well. So today I wanted to take things further for us. I wanted to just um, talk about some stuff that really shape us as a a community here. Take it further, I suppose, thinking about what does it mean for us to live out the Jesus story as God's active presence? We're living in the story of God. We are the presence of God on this earth. What does that mean? Not in an individualistic way, but what does that actually mean in a communal way? Um, Ryan shared uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of the message last week, John 1, 14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's Jesus, the son of God coming, the incarnation, as Christian theology would call that, he, he read, Ryan last week read this quote from Teresa of Avila which said that Christ has no body now on this earth but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours, you're the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world, yours are the feet with which he walks to do good, yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world, yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you're the body, Christ has no body now on earth but yours speaking of the ascension of Christ now, Christ in the heavens with the Father and has poured his spirit on us, the church. So thinking about the incarnation, Jesus moving into the neighborhood, lays out this basic template of perhaps what it means for us to move in the world. Um, In Jesus, this this new world has begun. So now as Jesus followers, we are to continue as the very body of Christ, as I say, on earth. So what if, Um, If we were the body of Christ in the world, if we are little Jesus in the world, little Jesuses individually, I want to ask what would the shape be um, that would take that beyond just the individualistic into the communal? What does communal life look like when we're living in the story of Jesus as God's active presence in the world? What does that actually look like? There's actually a name for that already, the Greek word. Um, is Ecclesia, Ecclesia, Christian theology would say that Ecclesia is a particular body of faithful people. And it's also the whole body of the faithful, I suppose speaking in a more global way, the Ecclesia. Or as we know it uh, uh, today, the church. When the followers of Jesus come together, as documented in the New Testament, when they form a whole new community, the church and the body of Christ, that is the presence of Christ on the earth. And as we know, the church is one beautiful but complicated story in and of itself. History has shown that the church has not always lived into its high calling at every turn. When the church has been the faithful presence of God though, this has often looked like the small and ordinary local communities of faith working and serving and loving the people that they live and work alongside and making the world a better place, which is extraordinary, the church, despite its flaws, is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It is a beautiful mess and an extraordinary thing. So at Redeemer here, we love the church. We love the church. And we contend for the church and we love the local church. And we love this expression of the local church that gathers in Redeemer here, all of you, all of us together, We believe that the church is not the only way that God moves in the world, but it's the primary way that God moves in the world through communities of faith. Now the church is a family, yeah? We believe the church is family, that we're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. And I could speak all week. Probably we could explore that theme um, for weeks alone. The church is family, but this is intro, and I wanted to give you um, two specific metaphors that sum up the way that we think about church, the way we think about community and Redeemer. Is that cool? Two specific images. You'll have heard these before if you're around this community, but hopefully this is just a good refresher. And for those who are new, hopefully it helps you understand a little bit about how we think. These images are not exhaustive. They're not the only ways to talk about community, but they're two of the biggest um, ways that we think. Tables and gardens. Tables and gardens. Those two images Those two metaphors. Let me just firstly talk about tables. Jesus spent a lot of time around tables, like literally around tables. He was constantly getting into trouble for eating and drinking with the wrong people, tax collectors and sinners. If you look at Matthew 9, um, you can see that. um, Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13. If you do have a Bible, please do open it. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be on the screen, so if you've got a smartphone, a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you. This little passage is the calling of Matthew, the disciple, or Levi, as he's often known in Luke. And what immediately happens after Jesus calls him to be a disciple is really interesting, because Matthew throws a dinner party, and it says this, as Jesus, Matthew 9, verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and at with him and his disciples. So again, tax collectors and sinners. A tax collector is someone who's working for the empire, remember? So this is not a neat, tame dinner party. This is, everyone's here. Everyone's invited, all here are welcome. And we know that this was upsetting because we know the religious leaders of the day had big problems with the way that Jesus practiced table fellowship, the way that he practiced table. In fact, he was accused further on in Matthew 11, he says himself, he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now to be accused of that, you're you're having to be hanging around with people who perhaps are drunkards or gluttons, or certainly you're being misunderstood. Like Jesus was in the thick of it. So when the, when the Pharisees saw this, back to Matthew 9, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, this kind of practice of Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners is all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the New Testament. He was constantly, as I say, getting in trouble with, for eating and drinking with the wrong, the wrong people. And of course, there's no better example of this table practice than at the Last Supper. The meal that inaugurates this table that we call in the Christian church today, the Eucharist the communion. At the Last Supper, to end the Matthew, we see before Jesus' death, we have the table with all the disciples around it. Here they have Judas, who was going to betray Jesus, sitting at the table. We have Peter, who would deny Jesus, sitting at the table. We have the other 10 apostles or disciples, who would each abandon Jesus, sitting at the table. There were disciples, as I say, that were, had been working for the empire. There were also zealots who'd be actively working against the empire, all sitting around Jesus' table. And they came together because of Jesus. He drew them together. In verse um, in Matthew uh, I think that's about Matthew nine eleven. I'm not sure if I've got that. Let me just look this up. I think that reference is wrong. Go back to Matthew eleven. Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy that need a doctor. This is a Matthew 9 passage. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. After the Pharisees have been asking, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus had not come to call the healthy. He had come for the sick. He had come for those in need. And this view that Jesus has, this mission that he has, this love that he has, sits under all of his table of practice. A radical, grace filled welcome to one and all to come and find healing and hope and redemption. Now, it's really important that we remember that the Gospels were written, before, they were written after much, much later than the epistles were written. So when the epistles were written to the church, the gospels hadn't been written yet. So when the gospels were actually then written, the gospels were written in a way to emphasize this radical table practice of Jesus in order, I believe, to shape the practice of the church. Jesus table fellowship, Jesus table practice, the way that Jesus welcomed one and all around his table is the way that the church should practice the table, and should inform our table practice, whatever that table practice might look like. Following Jesus' death and resurrection, we know that there was a defining moment, the birth of the church at Pentecost, where the spirit was poured out, as Jesus had promised, lives were transformed, people were being saved and baptized into the family of God, and the early church emerged as a community of people doing life together, and we get a glimpse in Acts 2 of what that community looks like. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a little record, a little glimpse into the first gatherings of that new community of people as they practiced the Jesus table practice, breaking bread together as Jesus had done throughout his life on earth, as he had inaugurated at the last supper. They were breaking bread among themselves. Indeed, interestingly, Diana Butler Bass says this, I and mean, we shouldn't underestimate what exactly is going on because we live in a very different world from the early church world. We now live in a post-Christendom world. Our world is infused with um, Christian ethics, a Christian worldview. And In that time, um, Diana Butler Bass says this, the early commentators scarcely attacked Christian doctrines, but they consistently portrayed Christian devotional practices as radical and socially divisive. Christianity had effectively created a social group that promoted its own laws and its own patterns of behavior. These behaviors, at odds with the Roman custom, earned Christians the reputation of being revolutionaries and traitors to the good order of the state. Christian defenders, such as Justin Martyr, used the example of Christian practice to make the case that Jesus' way mends lives. We who formerly valued above all the acquisition of wealth and possession now bring what we have into a common stock and we communicate to everyone in need. We who hated and destroyed one another and on account of their different manners would not live with men of a different tribe. Now, since the coming of Christ, live familiarly with them and we pray for our enemies." There's a lot of accusations, I think it's a great quote, there's a lot of accusations that were thrown around by Jesus' enemies, and it was largely, if mostly, because of his practice, because specifically of his table practice, the way the people that he would eat with and drink with, and the same, in a sense, should be said about the church, and was said about the church. The church was not liked in the empire because of those radical social practices that ran against the spirit of that age. Tables in the empire were exclusive. You had to be rich, you had to be wealthy, you had to be important to gain access to sit and eat around the table. Women were not allowed to sit at the table, never mind the sinners, unworthy, the unclean, the outcasts. And yet Jesus subverts this completely. And as I've said, it informs the table practice of the church. Let me read this quote from Jonathan Martin. The Lord's, he's speaking specifically about this table behind me, the Lord's table is radically open. It is the feast to which both Judas, the Christ betrayer, and Peter, the Christ denier, are both invited. The table practice of the church finds its origin in the table practice of Jesus. Why does your master eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? It is at the table of the Lord that the way of Christ is made possible, where there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. The practice of the table is more constitutive of our faith and beliefs or any social issue. It is possible and necessary to go to the table with brothers and sisters. Even who are in deep error, without disfellowshipping them, this is possible because it is ultimately not the table of the church, but it is the table of the Lord, and it is His guest list, not ours. It's this understanding of table fellowship or the in table practice that informs why and how we not only practice the table on Sundays when we gather to worship, but it actually sits in underneath the way that we see community as a whole. It informs how we practice community as a whole. It's a metaphor, as well as a literal table, it's also a metaphor for community. It directly informs, as I say, the breaking of bread, which I'm gonna speak about and lead us into later, and we're gonna get to take part in that, but it also sits, as I say, at the center of how we do How is that? Well, the table, metaphorically, is open and all are welcome. You come as you are, it's, it, it is a place where all are equal and have their place. It is a place where there is a hunger that draws you to the table, where you're in need. And that hunger is a humble acknowledgement that you do have needs, that you come to be sustained for provision. There is grace and provision at the table, that our needs are met and no one goes without. And there is healing and a filling at the table which sustains all that we do. This image of the table, of a meal, of a feast, of coming, is a profound image of what Christian community at large is actually like. We come in the community through the front door of this community perhaps, if you've connected even recently. You come in and you come as you are. I wanna say you're welcome. You're welcome. You have your place here. If you're hungry, there is sustenance here for you. Jesus sits right at the heart of this community. And he is the one whose the life flows from. He is the source. We are a Jesus-centered community here. There is grace and provision in this community, church. No one should go without. And there is healing and a filling that comes from the table when we encounter the presence of God. Jesus is the one that holds this thing all together. We can actually come with with differences even with disagreements, if we come in the right spirit, we come and form community together. He's the one that we have in common. Jesus is the one that we have in common because he is the life, he is the source, he is Lord. And so at Redeemer we actually don't have, as you may have encountered, formal membership. We don't have a process like that. That's you got a page and you sign your signature on it. But we sort of think about community a little bit, like I've just described, but we also think about it a little bit like cattle farming. So in Australia, and you've heard this if you've been to an intro night, cattle farming in Australia is very, very different to cattle farming in Ireland. Please forgive me, Ian, for butchering this, but... So in Ireland, we cattle, we, we herd cattle over, Yes, it could be vast, but in Australia, I mean, it's really vast. It's so vast that you can't build a fence to keep the cattle in or to keep the enemies out. Instead, in Australia, what they do is they often just dig a well. It's filled with water, fresh water. And the cattle rarely stray from the fresh source of water. And that image, I believe, sums up in a sense the image of table, as what Christian communities should be all about. That Jesus-centered communities gather around him. He is right at the center. He is Lord. And that we don't put up superficial boundaries and we don't police the community, but we trust that Jesus is calling people to himself. We don't build fences, but we make space at the table for those who are hungry to come. In fact, the only qualifier is that you are hungry because you don't really come to a table unless you are hungry. If you're hungry, you're humble, you want to encounter Jesus, then the church is a place that you can come to. We don't simply define faith here in Redeemer as just like an intellectual assent to beliefs but to like a way of life and practice. And we're trying to figure that out and we don't have it all down. I don't have it all down, I'm sure you don't. But the Christian life is to be lived and embodied in everyday practices, much like we've read about like the early church. We confess the Apostles' Creed in Redeemer. We are a confessional community. We believe things about God and Jesus and the world. We really do, but we believe that ultimately that is to cause us, to form in us, to live the story of Jesus out in the world in an embodied way, through our practices and our way. While uh, Diana Butler Bass said this, while contemporary Christians tend to equate just morality with sexual ethics, for example, our ancestors defined defined morality as welcoming the stranger. Unlike every other contested idea in early Christianity, including the nature of Christ and the doctrine of the Trinity, the unanimous witness of the fathers and mothers of the church was the hospitality, hospitality of the church, to welcome the stranger, the practice, the devotion. That was the primary Christian virtue. So that's what it means for us to be community around the table, where we can be known, where we can be welcomed, where we can be loved, where we can be accepted, where we can participate we can bring our gifts to bear, where we can help one another's and be helped, where we can be encouraged, where we can live out the way of Jesus faithfully to bring his kingdom on earth, to bring shalom through acts of mercy and kindness and justice. This is a really great quote from Joseph Hellerman says this, the idea of salvation cannot be reduced simply to a personal relationship with Jesus. It is that, I I believe. But God's plan is more encompassing than that. God intends for salvation to be a community creating event. Salvation is a community creating event. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant quote. So this is why community life is so important. It's probably also why it's so difficult too, because it involves relationships. This is why we gather every week, because this is what we're doing today. We're practicing table. We have these groups, these community groups that you know, and we also just gave them the name tables. They're called tables, table groups. But in a sense, the way that we see this, this is just like a big version of that. This This is table. If ever there was table Sunday, it's every week when we gather around the table of Jesus and we break bread and wine and we worship and we encourage one another, it's just a big version of that. But of course there's limits to how much we can interact with one another and get to know one another and practice community and be live out our authentic selves. And so it's just practically important for us to gather in smaller expressions. And that is why we place an importance not just on Sundays, but on our weekly table groups, which we're gonna talk about um, more specifically about how you can get connected into one of those and what they are and where they are next week. We're gonna talk about those next week. For a year, for thousands of years, rabbis, Jewish rabbis have taught that each table is an altar. It's a holy space that is simultaneously deeply sacred and yet incredibly wide open, a place where everyone is welcome. So as I say in summary, when we look at the life of Jesus, constantly gathering around tables to share meals with anyone he encountered, and he practices this radical inclusion, breaking bread with those who are so often excluded in the tables that are set in the homes of the most rich and the powerful and the privileged. So as people, as I say, who wanna follow the example of Jesus, we wanna open up our tables, to whoever and whomever, with the simple aim of providing a safe place for belonging, for community, for meaningful relationships, meaningful relationships, and the sharing of normal life together. We actually do that every time we we gather. Um, The way we actually organize our table groups that meet during the week, we actually gather around a meal, believe it or not, we share life um, around a meal. Albert Borgman, the philosopher actually says that the primary focal practice of the whole human race is meals and Jesus inaugurated a meal. And so we practice meals in our homes where we can eat together. And these are small expressions as I've said. All of our table groups are different and we'll talk more about that next week. They meet at different times for different stages of your life. There's a student table, there's others. I wanna encourage you all um, in this season of life to get into a table, to join one. We talk about it next week. You'll be able, and there's gonna be some slides up behind me that, that, uh, that um, will come up with the actual dates. Um, next week, we're actually gonna to begin to give you a way to sign up the tables. We're gonna hit the refresh button. Um, we're gonna have nine, there's nine, I think eight or nine different table groups. They'll have a different rhythm. And um, they meet twice a month. You're gonna begin in October, run the January. You can get into one. I really wanna encourage you to do that, to sign up to one, to connect into community life this year. I was gonna speak about gardens today, but I'm not going to, because we've run out of time. But I'd love to lead us after talking about tables. We'll talk about gardens next week. Tables and come into this radical table of grace I'd love to lead us to this table this morning. So maybe you would stand, I wanna bring the band up. Hannah and the guys, if you could come up. god 's story intersects with our story our story gets rewritten transfigured and infused with meaning with life when god's presence interacts with our everyday experience, our everyday experience gets transfigured and infused with meaning and life when god 's loving community the Trinity intersects with Our forms of community, our community becomes loving and self-giving and infused with life. More than anything, all of this talk about tables this morning has got me thinking about what a scandal that it is that I, that we, are invited to the table of Jesus. Sometimes it is all that I can do to just hold my hands out, and receive the bread, not only because things in my past haunt me, but also because perhaps of what has gone on this week. In the days before I even gathered on a Sunday, I am utterly unworthy. It's shocking and scandalous that there is a welcome, a radical welcome at the heart of the gospel. I come to the table hungry and humbly And when I do, I am overwhelmed by God's grace and the mystery of God's presence. It makes me long for God to expand my heart and give me the courage to open up my table to the quote wrong people who quote don't receive receive invites, the ones that are unclean or deemed unworthy. The table of Jesus is scandalous A Redeemer, as I've said, we're about Jesus. We're a Jesus-centered community because we believe that Jesus in the person of Jesus is perfect theology. And what does that mean? It means that when we look at Jesus, we see the face of God. We see God in the face of Jesus. And through connection and communion with Jesus, we have connection and communion with the divine, with God. As we come humbly and hungry to the table, that is an act of repentance. We come with need and we see God fill that need. We we see God set us free, we see God forgive our sins, we see God fill us with life. There is no better metaphor for belonging and for family than sitting around a table and a meal. And we do this in remembrance of me, as Jesus said. We remember Jesus' sacrifice on a Roman cross. His body represented by the bread and his blood represented by the wine. Sacrificed on a Roman cross for us for you and for me as an example and as the fulfillment of self-sacrificial love for us that he loves us and extends his grace to us but this table also is a mystery there's a mystery to this whole thing as well it's a mystery because somehow here in this meal not only is this a remembrance practice but it is a a practice of the presence of God. Somehow in this meal, Jesus is present today. He's here, we believe that. that there's a grace here that if you're sick, Jesus has come for you, because he has not come for the healthy, but he has come with medicine in a sense for the soul to heal and to restore. I read a quote this week that said that the, the glory of God is a human most fully alive. A human life full of life is the glory of God. And Jesus wants to heal and restore and breathe life on each of us. And he does that at his table of grace. Medicine for the soul. The resurrected Christ is present at the table right now in a very particular and yet mysterious way. And if you're looking for answers to every question today, you will not get them all here. But he gives us something else. He gives us himself Is bigger than our pain, beyond our explanations, closer than our breath. His presence in a very real way is in this meal today. We can experience him. And as I've said already, this is not the table of the church but this is the Lord's table. So I'm not the one inviting you, Christ is. He makes the guest list, not us. This is a table open for all, which means the only qualifier is that you're hungry for Jesus today. That you're hungry for Jesus today. The invitation is there for us to come and experience the love and grace of God and Jesus today. If you're weary today, God has made room for you. If you're discouraged today, God has made room for you. If you're downtrodden today, God has made room for you. If you're coming carrying shame today, God has made room for you. Come to the table, come to the table, take your seat. Experience his love and his grace. I'd love to encourage you practically to come individually if you want, but I'd love you to come in groups, come with the people that you're sitting with, maybe come and get some bread and take it to someone else in the room and extend that. Before we do, let me lead us in a prayer. Can we do that together? Let us join together in this prayer for communion. It's gonna come up on our screens. I'll read the first bit, and then when it says all, you can join with me. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world, with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have faith, and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, we have this bread and wine and grape juice to offer, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares now with us, made one in Christ and one with each other. We offer these gifts and with them ourselves, a single living act of praise. Amen. Amen. Come and break bread together. Let's drink the wine. Hannah is going to lead us. We're going to sing and celebrate.